0: Noticing just this week in the news as incoming and president-elect Biden will prepare to take office, it's actually 80 years exactly to this month, January 1941, when a former U.S. President, F.D. Roosevelt, made a speech to Congress. And in that speech, he was outlining his hopes for the war or just after the war. And he outlined four basic freedoms. And those freedoms, hopefully, as you'll see on the screen, are are outlined as freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. Now, to one extent more than another, perhaps, some of those freedoms have been realized. We have experienced some of that. But also, I think, There's another freedom which might resonate with our hearts. And it's something that this passage speaks into. And it's that freedom, we might call it, freedom from ourselves. And that's why I think Galatians 5 verse 1 resonates so deeply with us. When we read things like it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But, you know, that's not so easy to live with, actually. And that, in many ways, describes the the struggle that we all face day by day because we know at times that we don't feel free. Now, some of you might try and convince yourself that actually you are basically a good person. But let's face it, even the Apostle Paul struggled with this slavery, in many ways that that slavery that that James was trying to outline for us. If I was to read from Romans chapter seven, this is how Paul describes it in verses 18 and 19, Romans chapter seven. For I know that good does, that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And actually, as Paul was writing to this, Galatian church. That's what many people in the church, the the Judaizers, the the legalists would would have been saying. They say, exactly, that's why we need the law because you can't free yourself from doing these things and yet the law is there. It's like a big stick and it's there to hit you and tell you this is what you need to do. This is why you need the law. But Paul would say, no, no. We're not to be trapped by these things. No amount of legislation, no amount of rules and laws can ever change your heart. You know, it might make it appear on the outside that you are obeying the rules as you perhaps begrudgingly try and show to the world that you're keeping the laws, but on the inside, your heart isn't changed. That's what Paul has been saying all the way through this letter to the Galatians. And isn't that also in many ways the struggle that our national government and our local government are wrestling with at the moment as they try and impose rules and laws and regulations? Because we remind ourselves actually that no amount of rules ever change the heart and what we're like on the inside. And that's why... People organise parties and maybe there's 40 people in their homes. That's why people head up to the north coast because ultimately our hearts aren't changed. But of course, at times, even the opposite reaction can be seen. And this is certainly what was seen in the church in Galatia. And we've been reading about that week by week. And I think in some ways it also affects us. I'm all of course for keeping the rules and laws and regulations and we need to play our part. But do you ever feel at times a little bit virtuous? And that pride begins to well up in you as you think you are better at keeping the laws and the rules and regulations than other people. At times maybe That's what churches sadly have been known for, that that's all that they are about is trying to keep rules and regulations. And yet even we see that at times playing out as we go into the world at the moment. Do you ever feel a little bit of pride at times when you go out? Now, of course, it's an essential journey because you wouldn't make any journey that wasn't completely essential. But do you ever feel a little bit of pride when you're wearing your mask and people all around you aren't wearing theirs? Do you ever feel yourself that you're actually mentally counting the inches between you and the next person in the queue and you think again that you are better than other people at keeping the rules and regulations? You know, when when I feel that sense of pride welling up inside me, I know all is not good within me. There have been a a number of high-profile celebrities, aren't there, and haven't there been of late? People who have broken the rules and regulations and they've been shown to do that. I noticed even Bruce Willis this week was thrown out, or at least he was, denied entry into a pharmacy because he wasn't wearing a mask. And just incidentally, I really enjoyed some of the comments on Facebook about that, where they were saying that actually that employee in that pharmacy achieved something that Bruce Willis's protagonist in Die Hard, Hans Gruber, if you remember him, that that pharmacy employee did something that Hans Gruber couldn't do, and that was to sling Bruce Willis out of the building. But after any of these celebrities stand up and they've been shown to be wrong, so often what they say is something along these lines, where they say, I want to assure everybody that's not the real me. And maybe it's at this point that I would want to ask you, who is the real you? how do you account for some of the worst days of your life when you've done something and you're ashamed of what you've done? How do you account for what you actually did? You know, and as I think about that, I I want to remind myself of some words of Robert Louis Stevenson. Hopefully, they're going to come up on the screen now, and you're going to be able to see those. He was writing in his very famous book, Jekyll and Hyde, and what he reminded us of is that man is not truly one, but truly two. If I remind you of the storyline, Dr. Jekyll is a respectable London doctor. He's kind, he's religious, but in the course of some scientific research, he just covers a drug which is able to change him. And he becomes this horrible, malevolent, repulsive person he calls Hyde. And in the form of Hyde, he carries out some dreadful acts. Yet Dr. Jekyll, for all of his attitudes of being repulsed by what Hyde gets up to. He still feels drawn to performing whatever happens in the form of Hyde. He, he feels drawn and he feels addicted to that. Even at one point in the story for two months, he resists the urge to take that drug. And yet finally, he takes the drug, he becomes Hyde and he carries out a brutal murder. The more he tries to resist, the more he is drawn. Eventually, that evil side of his personality begins to take root. It becomes the, the dominant side of his personality. And at the end of the story, he commits suicide because of the sense of guilt and shame that he has, he has carried because of all that he has done in the form of Hyde. Hide. But you know, Jekyll and Hyde aren't to be thought of as some bizarre characters in science fiction because what Stevenson was doing as Stevenson writes his story is that he is actually painting a picture of all of us because no matter how charitable and upright and good that we think we are, there is, even as we read the Scriptures, there is a sense of a beast that's within us. And the more that we indulge the beast, the less that we are able to overcome it. And whether we like it or not, we're we're victims of all of this. And that being so, don't you think that Stevenson, as he writes these words, would find what we've read in Galatians very interesting. I'm going to show you verse 17 of chapter 5 on the screen. Because in this verse... Paul is describing that inner war. He says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. You know, Stevenson had a a Scottish Presbyterian upbringing. It's very likely that he would have been familiar with what Paul has been writing in Galatians. but there is one important difference between what Stevenson writes and what Paul writes in Galatians. Because Stevenson is a pessimist. And in the end, Hyde overcomes Jekyll. But for all Paul's debating about the reality of original sin and the power over our lives, he still emerges as an optimist Look at verse 16, the next verse I'm going to show on the screen, which is simply saying, so I say to you, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know, this, this is Paul's answer to the struggles that you face each and every day. Here, here, Genuinely, here is hope for you because here is victory and not defeat. And perhaps even right now, what we need to do is just to pause and to allow God's word to really touch our hearts. And it's at this point that we need to remind ourselves that of whom Paul is actually speaking because Paul is speaking to Christians. He is speaking to people who know and love Jesus. And this is how he is describing this this conflict that's going on. But in a Christian, something remarkable has happened. And that's why I want you also to look at verse 18. And it's the, the next verse that I'm going to show. if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Because... In a Christian, something remarkable has happened. Something supernatural has occurred because the Holy Spirit has taken up residence inside a believer. And the balance of power has now changed. And if I go back to my image of what I was talking about Jekyll and Hyde, it's no longer simply Jekyll versus Hyde, but it is Jekyll plus the Holy Spirit versus Hyde. And if I go back to what I was saying, In verse 1, as we began, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And even again, as I read that and remind you of that verse, which speaks of that wonderful, amazing, strong freedom, there's a longing that's there. There's a desire to do what Christ wants, and that is a desire that the Holy Spirit has placed within your heart that you will do what Christ wills you to do. Now, as Paul writes in verse one, there's a sense that there's an ox and it's being weighed down by its yoke and it's crippling. And sometimes that's the way in which pious Jews describe the law of God. It's oppressive. It's, It's a weight that's upon us. But Paul is not in for this sense of masochism Actually, Jesus said that his yoke was easy and his burden was light. And only a fool would allow himself to be burdened again because Jesus Christ died to set you free. And he doesn't expect you to constantly wear some sort of Christian grin. He doesn't expect you to mouth evangelical platitudes. He simply invites you to trust him. And you will not find that relationship with Jesus restrictive. Whereas many people will think that what religion says is obey the rules, here's the rules, get on, keep with those. The message of the letter to the Galatians is that you are free and that you should not submit yourself and what you are free from is this slavish attempt to get right by the law because the gospel sets you free to do what Christ wills you to do. It's possible because Jesus Christ surrendered his life on the cross for you that you might know freedom and forgiveness and life. His blood covers over and blots out your sins so that you are free from your past. And maybe it's even at this point that we need to ask ourselves, and I ask you, have you experienced that sense, that decisive sense of being set free by Christ because you have surrendered your life to Christ? Because that is what God calls you to today, to to follow him, to seek him, to know him. What are the keys if there? we might say there, there are some in following Jesus Christ as we read on into this passage down towards the end? I w- want to remind you of two significant things. First of all, I'm simply going to say, and this is a, a slide that's going to come up, and it's going to say, I encourage you to be decisively committed to Christ. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, in no way is Paul suggesting here that you do not experience or feel the conflict because that's what he has been totally writing about. We know that we feel that. But at the same time, you remember and you remind yourself that you have decisively committed yourself to Jesus Christ. And if you are struggling in, in a, any area of life, we just need to think have we actually made that decisive break? Perhaps your repentance has been shallow and, and weak, or perhaps even non existent. Have you ever really made that break with the past? Be decisively committed to Jesus Christ. And then as I look into verse 25, Maybe this second key, and it's a slide that will come up on the screen. Verse 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, that's an active verse. It's an active verse It encourages us to simply walk, to fall into rank, as it were, behind the Spirit as the Spirit leads us and He enables us. How do we actually do that? There are certain things that we can do as Christ-honoring disciples because the Holy Spirit fills our hearts and enabling us to follow Him and to be free to follow Jesus Christ. And we will do those things following Jesus Christ, and it means that our actions, our attitudes, will be so distinct from other people. And they will see what the Holy Spirit is actually doing in our lives. You know If you were reading a fancy Christian book, they might put a label on that, and they, they might say that is countercultural living, that's living in a way that is so obviously different from other people. And the reason that you are doing that is because the Holy Spirit is working in your life and other people will see it. Maybe even in these days, there are certain things that you can do that will enable you to live in a way that is honoring Jesus Christ and people will see the difference that it makes. Some simple things, even in these days, Don't you find that everyone at the moment are always demanding things? And perhaps to be different, we can be people who actually make sacrifice. We don't mind giving up certain things. And our motivation is because we love Jesus Christ, who modeled sacrifice for us. And the reason that we are not demanding like everyone else is because we are following Jesus. At the minute, of course, we we live within certain rules and regulations and restrictions. Life is more difficult than it used to be. And we can complain and we can moan and we can gurn about that. We can demand that things are, are, are made easy for us. So that's what the majority of people might say at certain times. But perhaps to follow Jesus, we might be people who make sacrifices. That's one simple thing we can do. Another simple thing that we can do is that we can be humble, that we can show humility when other people are always so definite. Haven't you noticed that's the big characteristic of people at the moment? Whether they're putting... Comments on Facebook or Twitter or whether they're having conversations and debates with other people, people are so quick and so ready to say, I'm right. And they're not afraid to tell other people that they think they're right. But perhaps we should follow what we read in the scriptures, James chapter 1 verse 19, that we should be people who are quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to to anger. And none of us should think that we have arrived at that point where we are definitely right about this. And perhaps the thing to do is simply to be humble, to show humility when other people think they are always so definitely right. Or another simple thing that we might be able to do, and perhaps I find this is the biggest challenge for me, is that we are people who show patience when other people want things fixed right now. When everything seems to drag, that we are people who can be patient. You know, patience is a rare thing. Yes, of course, we miss so much of the things that used to characterize our lives. And we would long long for things to be just as they used to be and that we might go back to normality. And even in church, it's far from normal. And what is so essential to our essence of what it means to be church is to be with one another. And and just not having that is a huge weight. And we would long to be able to be together. Not even just to, at times, see each other's face, on a Zoom call or on Teams or something like that, but actually to be with one another again and to worship with one another and to meet God with his people again. But sometimes we just need to be patient and to be patient even in those those moments when God's timetable is different from ours. And this is what it means for us today to experience the freedom that Christ calls us to, and that we will be people who are decisively committed to Christ. And the way that we will express that is that we will daily give ourselves to the Holy Spirit and to his leading, and we will keep in step with the Spirit, and we will listen to what the Spirit is laying upon our hearts. And as the Spirit works in our lives and we are changed, we are transformed so that we'll show into our world and we will remind people that our God is still a great God who is still alive, is still to be worshipped and that God is active and that God is moving in the life of his church and in this world. Let's pray. Father, speak to us. Lay your word upon our hearts. Challenge us, mold us, change us. give us a whole holy boldness, a desire to follow you. Lord may we long to know that freedom that is ours. to walk as you are calling us to walk and to point to Jesus. Amen.